Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports, where we talk about some of the biggest issues here in the world of sports. And we've got some big ones going on right now. One, we're talking about Live Golf. And now we're talking about lawsuits filing all over the place. Is it an illegal monopoly, according to what the golfers that are saying on the Live Tour against the PGA? And with us is Dan Lust. He is an attorney for... Uh, the New York City office of Garagos and Garagos. Dan, thank you so much for talking with us here. My pleasure to join you, and uh, this is uh, one of the biggest sports law stories and you know, in our in our world of sports and sports business, it's a pretty busy time for us. So I'm certainly happy to join you and, and happy to break it down. Let's just start it right from the top. Is the PGA an illegal monopoly, according to what some live golfers are saying, for barring them from playing in PGA events? I think we should start there, and I, and I think a, a probably important element to know, these golfers, right, they're not employees as you would normally see in a, in a traditional sports league like uh, the NBA or Major League Baseball, where there is a real, uh, where there are employees, there is a union that collectively bargains for on their behalf. Um, the golf is made up of what we call independent contractors, which outside of sports is more, you know, e- easily definable by like a, a plumber right, or an electrician. Right. They can do whatever they want. Um, so... It is odd to see an entity like the PGA essentially issue punishments to what we would call, right, in the law, freelancers, people that are not really under contract by the PGA. So that's at the heart of this dispute. Can an entity that is not technically the employer of someone exert a level of control over what you would typically do over an employee? Those are the optics of this lawsuit, right? Why can't golfers compete in both? That's the question at the heart of this case. So that's really interesting the way you put it. And I'm going to go off script a little bit here because whatever happens in this lawsuit, let's say that it does go to court and there's a ruling that could have implications for, say, Uber and the drivers who drive for Uber and also drive for Lyft, for instance. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. These sports cases tend to be in their own little box to some extent, right? I think, uh, you know, what we're having litigated almost simultaneously, Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption. Yes. Uh, the NCAA is being accused of being a monopolistic enterprise. This, uh, you know, the, the, I mean, maybe, honestly, if we're trying to figure out the intersection between business and law, why these cases are popping up, is because the business of law is increasing, right? You have billion-dollar television contracts popping up left and right in the world of, uh, you know, the DVR era, right? People are not watching anything live other than sports, so because the money is so good in that television world, in the media world, you have these players, right, the player empowerment era, 
they want a piece of it. So that's why it's being challenged at really all levels, at the baseball level, with the minor leaguers, at the college level, with now college athletes, you know, whispering about maybe creating their own union, and certainly with these live golfers taking the bag and, and going to play uh, for the live tour. So. Uh, it's not, not a coincidence by any means as we sit here in 2022. Barr, it sounds like with more money comes more problems, legal problems. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. It, it, that was it, good. That's that was the good. thing about it, too, is that, and let's put aside, by the way, and I know there are personal thoughts about uh, about the Saudi-backed tour because mm-hmm. of what happened to Jamal Khashoggi and uh, possible connections to 9-11. But we're talking about the legal aspect of this, which brings me to the next point. You, according to what live tour players are saying, unprecedented suspensions, the bottom line is, can the PGA get away with it? Uh, well, here, here's the thing, right? From an academic perspective, we've kind of known this was on the wor- in the works for maybe, I don't know, a couple months since Phil Mickelson had his comments out there. Um, so Phil is at the head of this lawsuit, right? Uh, and the players are alleging just at, at their heart of hearts that these suspensions are costing them money. Uh, I think we can point out that far, at least for some of the players. A guy like Phil Mickelson's being guaranteed over nine figures in guaranteed money mm-hmm. with his contract. So for some of the golfers, the 11 ones named in the complaint, some of them are making far more in terms of their net earnings than they would just with the PGA. So that's interesting there. The the question as to whether the PGA can uphold these suspensions, whether they will stick, um, I, I think it's an interesting one, right? And, and you point out, in terms of our you know free enterprise law, our antitrust law, it doesn't really matter what the you know if the competing entity has ties to the Saudi government, right? Our government uh, and the laws of the United States want to incentivize the free competition, right? You can go back to Microsoft, Google, Apple, any of these big companies, they want to increase competition. So the live tour, right? It might be backed by, you know, purportedly Saudi money, but it's still a, you know, in some respects, just a a golf organization. That's why you have these golfers when they make these public comments, the live golfers, hey, I'm just a golfer. I just want to compete and I want to play golf and I want to get paid to play golf. So the courts aren't going to be concerned as to the poor optics of maybe what, how live is backed by. But, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be tested here. We've known this would be tested for a while. The PGA has not had any competition. And the second they have a sniff of a competition, you know, first time in many, many years, mm-hmm. they're issuing suspensions and fines. So uh, the Department of Justice has opened up an investigation, and now this lawsuit comes right on the heels of it. Uh, not not a good look if you're a fan of the PGA. It looks, looks like they might be in trouble here. Yeah, I like the way you put that, that live golf could be backed by the Human Rights Watch group, uh, for instance, and this would still be uh, on on the legal merits, there would still be a case that could be made. So if, and this is a big if, Dan, if you were the lawyer for PGA Tour, what would be your argument for why uh, this lawsuit is frivolous without merit? I think you could try yeah, I, I think you could try to say in the rules, right, that these players subscribe to when they signed up for the PGA Tour, just like, you know, we can talk about plumbers and electricians, right? If I have a plumber that works in my house or an electrician, I might give him certain codes of conduct. Hey, listen, if you're working for me, you know, and you said you're going to come to my house between 12 and 1 on a Thursday, I don't want you going to my neighbor's house between 12 and 1 on Thursday. There, there is some level of control that the PGA Tour, even as an entity that's not a true employer, they can exert over their independent contractors. It's, it's certainly there. It's not like they can't have any level of control. I think that's the PGA's argument that, hey, we are not telling them they can't compete in live tour. We're not, we're not punishing them necessarily because they're competing in the live event. We're just saying, hey, we don't want you to do both at the same time. If you contract to be my plumber from 12 to 1 on a Thursday and a weekday, 
you really can't go over to my neighbor's house. I mean, that's that's not really fair. I, I think that's the argument that, hey, we are not overstepping our lines with the, exe- the level of control we are exerting. But, you know, we, we had certain rules. They agreed to them and they violated them. Maybe it's as simple as that if you're the PGA. But aren't golfers allowed to play in other uh, tournaments organized by other entities? Well, that's, that's what the argument is, right? These players are saying, why can't I compete in both? And the PGA is coming back and saying, listen, you can say you can compete in both. We are not stopping you from competing in the live events. It would be different, right, if they said you were being punished uh, because you were wanting to compete in some outside event. What's the question is, is whether you can do both things at the same time. Oh, I see. It'd be very different if in the PGA statements they came out and said, you, the players are being suspended, fined, and punished because they're competing, you know, they're with a separate entity. And I think the, the PGA's tours comments have not really said that, right? They've just tried to say, um, you know, they've tried to skirt around this issue a little bit. But, the, you know, they might be in trouble, right? Earlier reports were leaked that these players might be banned for life mm. if they competed in a live event. Now, Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA, he hasn't gone out right and said it, but he's watching his comments very closely because if there is, right, a lifetime ban explicitly because you played for a lifetime entity, the court will probably view that, right, as being unfair, unfairly competitive, right, that you're just purely because you have a competitor, you're banning this person for life. So it's, it is a little bit of a gray area, an untested one with respect to golf. Dan, I know we're running out of time, but I do want to bring up one point, and this is about the CEO of Live, Greg Norman. He was recently on with Tucker Carlson, and uh, he was asked the question, why are Americans upset about Live? And then Greg Norman replied, I don't know, and I really don't care. Well, that ain't helping, because if you're trying to get TV contracts here in the United States, a statement like that, Dan, is going to make a lot of people have steam come out of the year. Um, I, I would think so. And uh, I think also in those comments, Greg Norman talking about the business of sports, said that Tiger Woods was offered and turned down $700 million guaranteed to compete for the event. Um, so, you know, if you have guys like Tiger turning it down, you have the head of the organization, Greg Norman, you know, famous uh, PGA golfer in his own right, saying, I don't care what people think. Uh, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you, you got to focus on the PR efforts. And you'd think someone that's appointed the head of Liz Golf, right, maybe uh, priority number one is the PR aspect of this. So I understand Greg Norman is a very big name. I know there's uh, some reports that they tried to get Jack Nicholas for that spot. Who I'm not sure if uh, he would care more about the PR, but for from Norman's perspective, he doesn't seem to care. He just seems to be letting it fly. Which I, I uh, you know, I have some PR, sports PR in my background. Uh, let's just say that's that's not the way I would be handling it. Dan Lust, attorney for the New York City office of Garagos and Garagos. Thank you, sir, for talking with us right here on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. My pleasure. Anytime. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. 
Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We still have more to get into, and this involves NFL star Deshaun Watson with the Cleveland Browns. The league wants it to be more than the six games he got as punishment for conduct unbecoming of the league. The league, though, they want it to be more. They're shooting for a year. And with us to talk about that is Martin Needle. He is the co-chair of Goulston and Storrs Sports Law Practice. Marty, old friend, thanks for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Michael, it's always a pleasure to be with you and Scarlett. This is a big time for sports <laughs> lawyers in sports. We were just talking about the Live Golf Tournament and that lawsuit. Now we've got this situation with Deshaun Watson. The NFL, the the person handing out the punishment, gave Deshaun Watson six games for violating the league conduct code. The league itself, I've never heard of this before, they want more. Mm-hmm. They're, they're saying they want this to be uh, about a year. Uh, and and it, you don't you really see that. But in, in the end, Marty, am I right? That it's going to come down to what uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell says. It is. You, you've hit the nail on the head. The NFL collective bargaining agreement, unlike that of any other professional sports league, gives the power of the commissioner to be the prosecutor as well as the judge. And I assume Commissioner Goodell will uh, assume all those roles here. Um, one one comment, this is not the first time the NFL has challenged uh, the ruling of its neutral or its arbitrator. If you go back to the Ray Rice case, Ray Rice was initially suspended, I think it was for two games, and the NFL challenged it, claiming it found new evidence which were the tapes in, uh, of the what happened in the elevator between Ray Rice and his then fiance, And commis- the commissioner imposed a harsher sentence, which was later vacated. So there is some precedent for the commissioner jumping back into the mix and trying to decide this, frankly, in light of the public outrage. Okay, so let's say Goodell moves ahead and uh, hands down a penalty that is far tougher than the six-game suspension. Uh and, and quell some of the outrage out there. Do we just assume automatically that the NFL Players Association is going to sue and this is going to go to court and this gets drawn out even longer? I think that's a fair assumption. The NFL Players Association represents the players. Uh, it, is, it agreed to the uh, six-game suspension and was not going to challenge it. But if the commissioner decides to impose a harsher sentence, then I think the Players Association, it's incumbent upon the Players Association as a representative of the players to make sure that the process doesn't tend to be fair um, rather than just a response to public opinion. So I think it will challenge in federal court uh, any any harsher sentence that is imposed by the commissioner. Silas Red, he sent out a tweet, and it goes to where critics are saying about how these punishments are all over the board. Right now, for Deshaun Watson, we're looking at six games. Silas Reed, who was trying to get onto the Washington football team, it's it's been changed now in the <laughs> name, uh, but he got a whole year from the NFL for a suspension for smoking weed. But then he says, well, you just get six games for sexual misconduct. Make it make sense. 
So I'm asking you, Marty, help this make it make sense. So the answer, Michael, is it does not make a lot of sense. Um, Once upon a time, players could get thrown out of sports for betting on sports. You you have the example of the Black Sox. uh, You have the example of Pete Rose. Uh, Players were not punished for other activities, which made, of course, no sense because there are far more heinous crimes than betting. And then came the collective bargaining relationship and the players and the owners set forth what's in the best interests of the game and tried to put some guardrails around the types of activities that uh, would result in a suspension. Take basketball. You run out, if a player runs out onto the court from the bench, it's an automatic suspension. Is that the worst thing in the world? Maybe not. But it gives a lot of discretion here, and in particular in the case of the NFL, where all the powers have been ceded to the commissioner uh, by the Players Association. So, as I said before, the commissioner is the prosecutor, the commissioner is the judge, and the commissioner is the appellate judge as well. And it's important, therefore, that the commissioner adhere to at least fundamental due process rights, uh, in this case for Deshaun Watson, because otherwise it'll be all over the place and in the courts and in the media. So ro- probably won't be anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's safe to say. Roger Goodell is commissioner of the NFL. Um, he represents the interests of the owners of the football teams, not the fans. What do the owners want him to do? And what's in their best interest? Well, <laughs> narrowly, the owners want their players to be able to play, but they also have a public interest duty. Um, you can't have somebody who's a sexual predator being able to play with getting just a slight slap on the wrist. And I think the owners would want to quell the public outrage by showing that there would be a harsh sentence. Of course, the owner could suspend Watson because he has a contract with the team as well. Separately, away from Goodell's action and whatever the arbiter came up with. Correct. Hmm. But... That's unlikely to occur once the NFL has stepped in and said, we will handle it. But that goes back to your initial point, Scarlett. The commissioner is representing the owners, but he's also representing what's in the best interests of the sport. Does the league have a problem because of the fact that Deshaun Watson, if if I'm correct, he was never arrested for any of this? Uh, And it reminds me when Ezekiel Elliott he was never arrested, but he was suspended. And I'm wondering, now, what problem does this cause in the Deshaun Watson case? So, a great question, Michael. Um, the commissioner does not have to wait until there's a guilty plea or a guilty verdict handed down before disciplining a player. If that were the case, uh, players would play probably till the end of their normal careers before the uh, legal process would wend its way through the courts. What the commissioner has to do is act, and I keep coming back to this phrase, what's in the best interest of professional football? If there's a lot of fire out there, the commissioner has responsibility to investigate, again, within the boundaries of providing Mr. Watson with due process. So what does that mean? He needs to bring Watson and Watson's lawyer into the process, give them access to the materials that the the league obtains, give them an opportunity to talk, to examine, to be cross-examined, 
uh, and to cross-examine adverse witnesses, if need be, um, so that it, it's perceived as a fair process. In other words, the process that is due. If, if the commissioner can do that, and he's had, God knows, lots of opportunities now over the last few years in this area uh, to investigate and take action, uh, then in all likelihood, a court will affirm that. The question really becomes the one that Scarlett raised before, which is, if six weeks is the precedent that goes on there, how do you go for a larger uh, term of suspension? So, Marty, I'm going to ask you to step away from the NFL on this for a second. And uh, let's think about the lawsuits that were levied against Deshaun Watson himself. Not all of them have been settled. There are still some that are outstanding. What does this ruling and what does this likely appeal or this appeal and the likely uh, countersuit by the NFL Players Association and the likely uh, move of this case to a federal court mean for the outstanding lawsuits against Deshaun Watson? It should put more of an impetus for either a resolution for a resolution of those lawsuits, either by settlement or through the criminal justice system or civil justice system, because the victims or the alleged victims certainly don't want this dragged out in multiple forms. Neither does Mr. Watson. So there'll be increased pressure to try to move these all to a resolution. Marty Edel, co-chair of Goulston and Stores Sports Law Practice, old friend of the show. You know you can come here anytime you want and, of course, probably be bugging you a lot more because there's going to be a lot more coming down the line. I I loved the comment earlier about how because there's so much money at stake in live sports now, this is what you're going to get as a result. Marty, yeah, we'll probably burn your phone line. Thank you, sir, for joining us. <laughs> thank you, Marty. It's always a thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, and we're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday right here to give you the biggest on the issues that's taking place in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. We're kind of like court radio at this point. I'm Scarlett <laughs> Fu, and I'm on Twitter at Scarlett Fu. I, I'm kind of like, you know, the, what was it? You're Judge Judy, and I'm kind of like, you know, you know now it's Judge... Court? Who, who's the guy in Night Court? Oh, that, oh, the, the Harry Anderson guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that, you know, I'm doing mag, magic tricks here. Uh, <laughs> by the way, uh, download this show wherever you get your podcast. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.